read uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Well, we pick up uh, this evening again our studies uh, in Genesis. And uh, if you remember, the last time that we left it, uh, we left it with that uh, promise of God ringing in the ears of Adam and Eve and the serpent, the promise of the seed of the woman who would come, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, uh, who would come and would bruise the serpent's head, who would crush the serpent's head and undo the, the damage and the pain and the, the trouble that he had brought into the world. A promise that reignited hope in Adam and Eve's heart. So soon, God in his graciousness condescends to give them this promise. Almost immediately, it seems. Not even uh, much, uh, not giving a long space of time, but immediately coming in with this gracious promise to Adam and to Eve, uh, which would have stirred up some measure of hope and anticipation that all is not lost. And to the serpent, well, it would have struck terror into his ears. To the devil, the tempter who had brought about the fall of Adam and Eve and all mankind with them, well, here is a word that is against him and a threatening against his activity. And it would be a word, a promise, that he took also note of. And we see this also subsequently, isn't it? All through uh, history, how uh, because he was aware of this promise, he tried to destroy the line from which that promised Messiah and Savior would come. Again and again, we read of his attempts to get rid of that line. And again and again, we read about how God protected and kept that line uh, that Davidic line from which the Messiah will come. Well, today we are looking at the, the verses really from verse 16 uh, to the end of the chapter. And my title is really uh, Fallout uh, from the Fall, the consequences of the fall and the cursed life uh, that would now be the portion not only of our f- first parents, but of all their descendants and including ourselves, of course. Well, you notice uh, in this reading here, uh, Genesis 3, 15 onwards, well, there are temporal judgments which are meted out uh, to them. And the Lord speaks about pain and sorrow uh, for the woman in in childbearing. And and then agricultural problems are going to cause grief and and toil to the man. and, And death, that physical death, is going to come in as well. But something far worse has already happened uh, in them. Something far worse has already taken place within them than these temporal judgments. Spiritual death has happened to them as a result of their sin. Guilt has come in, which they had never known before. Fear and shame has, has now come in as a result also of guilt. And that deep aversion to their maker and their best friend And now they want to run away from him and hide from him and cower in his presence. Far worse 
sort of judgments have come upon them. But let's look uh, at these uh, verses in a little bit of detail. Uh, verse 16. Firstly, the Lord addresses the woman. She is the one uh, who uh, has uh, taken the initiative, as it were, listened uh, to the voice of the, the tempter. And uh, her punishment, we read here, is twofold. Firstly, uh, we read about her sorrows. I will greatly multiply thy sorrows and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth uh, children. It's going to be hard from now, from now on uh, for the woman, whether in, in pregnancy and also in the actual giving of birth. Is her sorrows are going to be greatly multiplied. It will be much more difficult for her and more painful uh, for her now to bring children into the world. We have this phrase, and it's still in use today, that we say a woman has gone into labor. And that speaks as well to us, isn't it? It's gone into labor, travail, toil to bring forth a man-child, as it were. But if there had been, if there had been no fall, perhaps uh, this uh, process would have been somewhat uh, more tolerable and probably a lot less painful uh, for the woman. And we get that sort of idea because here the Lord says, I will greatly multiply uh, thy sorrow and thy, uh, thy, uh, thy, in, in thy conception. So perhaps it would have, wouldn't have been so, so difficult, and yet perhaps there would, it wouldn't have been painless uh, either. But now it's going, because of sin, it is uh, increased. And here, again, we have a reminder uh, to, uh, to, our, to us. Every birth is a reminder to us of the fall. Every birth is a reminder to us of original uh, sin. And all these things, which these judgments, which are still with us today, we're going, we'll see they are all meant to be uh, reminders to us that we are fallen beings, that we have offended our, our Maker, and yet at the same time, that we need a redeemer. So, firstly, uh, this pain and sorrow, and we, we don't need to elaborate really on that because I think we're all familiar with the toils and troubles that women go through uh, in, in, uh, in pregnancy as well as in uh, childbearing, and some a lot more than others. But secondly, we read here about another judgment that is upon them, uh, in the second part of verse 16, thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, uh, there is some, some people interpret this first part, thy desire shall be to thy husband, as having a great longing uh, for, that woman having a great and deep longing for her husband, sort of a, a violent craving uh, after him, an infatuation, with man. And certainly we see that uh, even in societies, especially you see it amongst uh, young, young girls and young women. There's an infatuation sometimes uh, with, uh, with guys in, uh, and, uh, in particular. But the other explanation uh, to this phrase is that the woman here is, has to subject uh, all her desires, all her wishes to her husband. She has to Instead of being able to carry out the desires as she, as she wishes, she has to bring it to her husband. and He has to say yea or nay. He has to grant or he can uh, deny her wishes. 
And I think that fits better uh, with uh, the overall context because here with the next part, he shall rule over thee. The woman, when she fell into uh, temptation and she gave way, she was persuaded and desired the fruit because she, she thought that through it she would be made wise, a tree to be desired to make one wise, verse 6. She followed her own desire. She didn't consult Adam about it. She just pursued it independently of, of him. And so now as a result of that, part of her punishment now is her desires are going to be uh, subject to uh, her husband. And then also we see that he shall rule over thee. He shall rule over you. And the, the idea here is he's going to rule over you with rigor. He's going to rule over you in a severe and, and cruel way. And where, where sin reigns, this is the kind of attitude often that people, husbands have towards their wives. It's not always the case, but quite often we have seen it. See it especially in some of the Islamic uh, countries where women are oppressed and su- subjected and, and uh, treated uh, very uh, terribly. And I even read uh, just today about uh, being treated like a, a dog's body. A woman was complaining about uh, her partner and treating her in such a, a, a terrible way. And that still happens in our modern day society. Where, and that's a result of sin. That's a result uh, even of the fall. It wasn't like that before the fall. There's probably some order in the marriage even before the fall. Adam ruled over his wife, yes, even then, but then in gentleness, then in kindness, uh, then in, uh, in tenderness and love, uh, he ruled over her, and she willingly uh, submitted to him. But now, well, this uh, relationship has taken a turn uh, for the worse. And uh, he's going to be uh, a little bit more bossy. And she's going to find it as well for herself extremely difficult to submit to him. Pride's going to affect her submission. And she's going to find it troublesome and to submit willingly and lovingly uh, to him. So sin has so badly affected the marriage relationship. Thankfully, there are many marriages which still... Uh, are very good and get on very well. But we hear as well so often of cases just like, like this where the man uh, rules in a bossy way and mistreats uh, his uh, wife. So that's the woman's uh, lot and punishment. Uh, but then in verse 17 we read about the judgment on, upon Adam. And his judgment is upon uh, connected with uh, his work. We read the ground is cursed because of his sin. Verse 17. Because I was hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. The fruit, alongside the fruit and the vegetation, well, are going to spring up thorns and thistles, God himself has cursed the land. Before he blessed it, and there, was, there were none of those things, and everything would grow so wonderfully and easily, but now God himself has cursed it. 
and these noxious herbs and these troublesome weeds, well, they're going to affect the vegetation. They're going to choke the good fruit. And then the, the, the crops, well, they're subject now to different kinds of pestilences, to diseases, and even to uh, weather conditions which may affect uh, the, 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 the crops, the, the drought, and so on. All these different things which uh, are not just natural, but are a result of, of the curse. And that's uh, part and parcel of our everyday life. And accompanying this uh, difficulty in obtaining the crops and the food that we, we need for our, our daily bread is anxiety. There's going to be an, an anxiousness uh, uh, with the man. Now he, he's not sure as he plants. He plants, he hopes, everything's going to work out okay. He's expecting everything, but he never knows. He can never be sure. Anytime pests may destroy uh, his, his crops. Anytime a sudden change in weather condition may affect uh, all his efforts that he has put, put in. And it may end up it all being in vain. It may end up that he has not enough to feed his family or to store uh, what he needs for, uh, for, the, uh, for, for his food uh, and, for, and, and for, for the remainder of his, uh, his labor, his, sorry, his months. So he's going to have to uh, be, he's going to be anxious about these things and he's going to have to work very, very hard. We read here about him having to, to sweat and labor uh, to obtain these things, to provide bread for his family. For how long? Until he returns to the ground. In verse uh, 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. How different for Adam now. In his pre-fall work again, was a, work was a pleasure. Work was a joy to him, a delight. Work was rewarding. Yes, he had to work, but he, uh, he, didn't, he, was, he didn't have any anxiety attached to it. But now it's all uh, become very troublesome and difficult. It still produces the fruit, but with great uh, difficulty he must get at it. And we see this today, isn't it? In the land is still subject uh, to this curse. Uh, all of us also uh, have to work hard. We're not all farmers. Very few of us are agricultural farmers. Some are gardeners. That's as far as we get. But we don't grow uh, very much. But uh, even to earn our daily bread, whether we're going to the office or a school or a hospital, it's still a measure of uh, sorrow and, and hard work in obtaining our income and our salary. It's not easy. The hours are long. The bosses are demanding. The hours are draining for us. We come back. We're weary. And then many times we are anxious. We don't know, will I still have a job even? Uh, today, people are very anxious about these things. Is there, uh, will I be able to find work uh, if I am laid off? And so on. All these different matters to do with putting food on the table. Only recently, only, in fact, only today I was reading about the late 19th century and how difficult it was in London in the 1870s, 1860s uh, for people living in East, the East End of London. And there was, 
they were, they were crowded in their thousands uh, to, try and, to try and find work, and the, the strong would push away the weak, and they would, those who did manage to find work, where women would have to work very long hours, from uh, 7 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night, and only be paid a pittance. And they used to struggle to feed their families, and they had a number of children, and the husbands would go out to work, and they'd come back from work, and they uh, oh, sorry, would go out looking for work, and come back having found none. And then they would, maybe they would have got drenched in the rain, and then they would become rheumatoid, uh, they would pick up rheumatoid arthritis, and one or two even committed suicide because it was so terrible and perilous, and just because they couldn't find work, and uh, how hard it was uh, for so many, and so many were brought up uh, in a, in a poverty-stricken home. And uh, thankfully things are a lot better for us today, but still there is this uh, subject, or still we are subject to anxiety and sorrow in our daily work. And then another thing which is mentioned here, which is death. The worst thing of all, isn't it? Till thou return unto the ground. He wouldn't die physically, immediately, but he would one day. That most horrible experience of all, death, has now entered uh, the world, and all because of sin. Well, friends, uh, we mentioned these things, and as I've said already, these are daily reminders, everyday things which happen to remind us that we have sinned against our Maker, and that we are fallen men and women. We need these things. The world needs these things. If the world didn't have them, or they would just carry on in their rebellion. Do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah, the place beside it, was beautiful. It was like the Garden of Eden, I think uh, Lot said. Uh, and, and beautiful to look at. And, and what is the result of Sodom and Gomorrah? Did they turn to God? Did they repent of their sin? No, they, they went even further away in rebellion against the Lord and immorality. So having these difficulties and curses even upon us are all clarion calls from God to, to turn from our sin and look to Him. Death especially is the loudest call of all, isn't it, to us, that uh, we must prepare to meet our Maker, to meet our God. But in uh, having said that, we thank God that uh, if we were left entirely in this state, well, we would be without hope. Life would be miserable. Is this our lot? But thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for him who has come. Thank God for the gospel which has brought in alleviation. Yes, we are still subject to these things even as believers, but we have some way out of them and the curse is turned even into a blessing for us. And I just, just mentioned these things in terms of childbearing, you know that scripture in 1 Timothy 2.15 where Paul says, Notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And then also the position of that woman. Well, uh, in Christ that husband is changed. In Christ that uh, Christian husband now is to love his wife and to love her as Christ loved the church. 
And so he no, no longer mishandles her or treats her in such a way. He sees her as, as his equal, and he treats her with uh, the kindness and tenderness and respect. And as we saw on Sunday with that due benevolence, uh, rendering to her uh, that which is uh, her due. And, and all these things are a result of uh, Christ uh, coming uh, into the world and us believing in him. And while the Christian, again, in terms of work, while the Christian has to, still has to work long hours and uh, it's difficult to earn uh, money, still Christ has bidden him to take no thought for his life, what he shall eat or what he shall drink or what he shall put on, because God, his heavenly Father, will provide for him. God will clothe him. So he doesn't need to be anxious. God will look after him. God will provide for him as his child uh, all that he needs. What an encouragement. And then, though the believer, yes, we must also die like the unbeliever, but it, for us, it's not the end, is it? For us, it's just the beginning, really. And I was just talking with the brother today about this, that death uh, really is something we can look forward to, something that we can, uh, uh, somebody has called it the, the best means of grace that there is, death. Uh, because it uh, brings us into the kingdom of God. Uh, it brings us to heaven. Uh, and we can look, and we as well, we know death is not the end, because there is a resurrection uh, to look forward to. That resurrection, uh, when Christ comes back again, death uh, ushers us into eternal life and into the presence of our Lord and Savior forever and ever. And so uh, even that horrible uh, death uh, is actually turned into a blessing uh, for us who are in Christ. But let me very quickly uh, move on. Uh, verse 20, Adam changes his wife's name. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. You remember in chapter 2, when he first saw her, I uh, he said, oh, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. But well, now he changes her name and he calls his wife's name uh, Eve, which means living or the mother of all living. He's picked up something of the grace of God in what, even in these judgments. And when God said to Eve uh, that she would uh, bring, that she would in sorrow bring forth children, yes, he picked that up. But he he picked up that she was going to live longer. And she was going to bear uh, children, uh, it would, even though it's with pain and sorrow. They hadn't had, didn't have children as yet. So there was the, their time was going to be extended. And in this sense, she, uh, she is the mother of all living, the mother of the whole human race. But here also, friends, is Adam's faith. He is also picked up on that promise in Genesis uh, 3 and verse uh, 15 the promised seed that will come from the seed of the woman. And uh, this is in his mind as well. And he, he sees in his mind's eye that uh, from Eve is going to come the Savior who will bring life and immortality uh, to, uh, to, to those who trust in him. Instead of death, life will come through this Savior. And so that's also included in the name here, uh, Eve, which means uh, life. And then verse uh, 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God 
make coats of skin and clothe them. Here, here also is something very uh, valuable and very interesting. Uh, the animals here are slain not for food, but to provide better clothing for, uh, for the man and the woman. But it's more than just better clothing for them. As uh, a number of commentators have suggested, this is probably the first sacrifice, the first sacrifice ever. And it's taking place in the Garden of Eden in paradise. And yet Adam is being taught a vital lesson. And it's a, he's, he's, here he's being shown that uh, without shedding of blood, there is no, not going to be any remission of sins, but that God accepts a vicarious sacrifice. Here is the first picture lesson for Adam, that as he sees that animal having to suffer and pain and agony and, and die, so also somebody else is going to come. Somebody else is going to suffer in the place of the sinner and make an atonement for their sins. And it's, it must be that, uh, that which is in mind here. Otherwise, if it was just for clothes, well, God could have told Adam and Eve to make the clothes and given them a way to do it. But here we read the Lord God make, uh, did made, uh, made coats of skin and clothe uh, them. So a first sacrifice, the first of many sacrifices. And we see in the very next, next chapter where uh, Abel is going to offer a sacrifice that is well-pleasing uh, to God. Where did he get that from? How did he know that would be well-pleasing? And why was Cain's rejected? Well, we can probably trace it back to this first sacrifice here in the Garden of Eden. A sacrifice that pointed that ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ when, when he would come and take away sin, after which, well, no further sacrifices are needed. All through the Old Testament, you see, isn't this picture of sacrifice? Uh, and it comes right from the beginning here, originated uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 3. So, and, and from it, we read the clothing of the clothing which God provided. Remember how they had tried to clothe their shame and nakedness with fig leaves? And what a, what a poor attempt that was to cover their shame and their, their guilt and embarrassment. And that's what we do today, isn't it? Before we come to the Lord, we try and cover uh, our shame and our guilt with uh, our own works. And what a pathetic attempt it is to do so. Friends, we need the righteousness of Christ. And that's what God provides. That's the clothing he provides for us, a perfect righteousness, an acceptable righteousness in his sight. This is the, the garment that we need. And because of that, we're clothed with that righteousness. Our sin is covered, our guilt is covered, and we are accepted in the Lord. And then finally, in the last few verses, we see man's expulsion uh, from the garden. Uh, the man, the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now let us he put forth, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. He was uh, to be put out uh, from the garden. Now he knows about evil. Now he's also become 
a slave uh, to it, subject to it. Well, that deprives him of his right uh, to the tree of life. But could he really, have, even after having fallen, could he really put his hand forth and somehow force his way to that tree of life and take of that, the fruit from it and eat and obtain for himself life forever? Well, it's, that's not really uh, what's in mind, but it's speaking here symbolically the, uh, that the tree of life uh, by which he could have obtained eternal life if he had, uh, if he had remained upright, that is, he, uh, uh, that, that is no longer possible for him. It's not as if he can sneak back to that tree and uh, even though he's fallen, uh, gain, gain life just by eating it. No, but here, friends, the tree of life uh, symbolizes that uh, eternal life he would have had if he, and he could have earned by himself if he had remained upright, if he had remained true. But he fell. And now it's impossible for him to ever earn eternal life again. And so, while on one hand it's a judgment that he is put out from God, on the other hand, it's also a mercy that he is restricted and prevented from accessing that tree of life. Because it's teaching him once again, you can't earn it. You can't earn that tree of life like before. Now you must depend on, on, on grace. Now you must hold that promise which I've given to you firm. And now you must look to, uh, to the Savior that is uh, to come. Don't look to your own works. You can't do it anymore. Look to Christ. Uh, he is the one uh, who alone can save you. And that's uh, also included uh, in this expulsion from the kingdom, uh, from the garden. And so he is sent out uh, to till the land, uh, which is probably quite near to it, uh, and cherubims and a flaming sword are placed at its entrance. He's forbidden and he cannot enter back in. And uh, probably they say for a while this uh, geographical place of the garden would have remained visible to them and would probably only have been fully destroyed at the time of the flood. Well, friends, with this I close, but uh, thanks be unto God once again for his unspeakable uh, gift. Where would we be without Christ, without her hope, without any prospects for the, this life, really? Life would, this life would be miserable and only judgment to come, but he has saved us. He has rescued us uh, from uh, these things. Paradise lost by man and his sinful, uh, his sin and his rebellion. Paradise regained by Christ for all who will believe 